you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hey, this is Dan, and you are about to join a group of people who are not content to just trade their time for a paycheck. We're not content to consider work a curse. Hey, we're the group of people who are saying, you know what? Life is too short to settle for those kind of things. We're going to figure out how to either find or create work that is purposeful, meaningful, and profitable. We don't have to compromise. It can be all of those. You're going to hear some stories about people who are doing just that. This is where we take 48 minutes each week, take some questions from you, the listeners, real-life questions, not just things we dreamed up or found in a book, real life questions about work in this economy with these politicians in power. Yes, with crazy things happening around the world, like happened at the Boston Marathon this week. How can we continue on a path of success in spite of all those circumstances around us? We're going to be looking at that. Well, our theme is going to be quitting is not giving up. Here's some of the questions we'll be looking at today. Dan, I purchased 48 days some years ago and ended up landing the best paying job I ever had. Now that listener goes on to ask a question about his future employment. We'll talk about that. Dan, I'm moving to another city in August and I really, really don't want another permanent eight to five J-O-B. Well, there's lots of options. Dan, how can I take my $2,500 and double it in three months? We're going to have a little fun looking at a financial principle there. Is that possible? Take an investment, double it, triple it, three months? Sure. Hey, we'll we'll look at some ideas. Dan, I graduated in May of 2012, so a year ago, with a marketing degree and have not had any luck in getting a job. Ooh, that's a unique challenge. Dan, I can't figure out what really motivates me or what my true passion is. I'm lost. I have a mentor who says, any idea can work. Should I get another mentor? Interesting quandary there. I've got some advice for you on that. Well, here's a quotation. Now, this is going to be a little longer, and you'll know why here when I read it. This comes from Seth Godin's book, The Dip. Now, in The Dip, he trashes the old adage, winners never quit, quitters never win. Well, that's not true. Winners quit often and quickly when something's not working. I know we get all locked up in this thing about persistence and just persist. No, if you're persisting on the wrong direction, all it'll do is increase your misery. Well, here's a quotation. I'll get off my high horse here before we go into it. But here's, here's the quotation from Seth, Seth Godin in The Dip. Quitting a job is not quitting your quest to make a living or a difference or an impact. Quitting a job doesn't have to mean giving up. A job is just a tactic, a way to get to what you really want. As soon as your job hits a dead end, it makes sense to quit and take your quest to a bigger marketplace because every day you wait puts your goal farther away. All right, let's go to the questions. This comes from Pablo Baez in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Who says, Dan, I've been a listener for years and appreciate your advice more than any of my virtual mentors. I've always felt a calling to help others see and engage their greatest potential. Now I'm a career coach 
in the process of developing my own business and online resource site at BaezCoaching.com. Toward that end, I'm developing my presence in my community by offering free coaching and speaking. I was recently asked to speak to a group of aspiring high school level artists in a community of urban artists program. My topic will be on marketing and branding. I really want to deliver and give these kids some valuable info. You've shared some great examples of how artists market themselves, but I can't seem to find them. Can you revisit your favorite stories and suggest ways young artists can generate income from their passions? Coach Baez. Well, Coach Baez, thanks for your question. Thanks for the work that you're doing to encourage young artists. Yeah, there's all kinds of things that young artists can do. The first thing is to recognize this is a business. Now, if they want it to be, if it's just a hobby, then recognize it as such. But if you want it to pay your bills and create wealth for you, then look at it as a business. Most artists don't. They just assume, well, it's just kind of my hobby. If something works fine, if God wants me to be successful in that, you know, he'll do something. Well, those are nice, warm, fuzzy thoughts. But if God has given you the talent to be an artist and you want to really use that, then you you have to be more strategic, more intentional. How is this going to generate income from you? What are you going to do in terms of marketing? How are you going to stand out from the rest of the crowd? Now, I've shared a lot of stories over the last few months about what artists in our 48 Days community are doing. Dorsey McHugh, who teaches art here at the Sanctuary. She's currently in Ireland, incidentally. She, She went to Ireland without a real clear plan of what she wants to do. She's just taken a break because she's been very successful in selling her art. She's the one who on the first day of December started the 12 days of Christmas. So she did one painting every day for the first 12 days of Christmas, 12 days of December, but it's called the 12 days of Christmas. And she just sent a note out to her audience and we helped her market that and let it be known that those were available. They were eight by eight inches. So these are small paintings, but they were available for $300 a piece. Well, she instantly sold out the 12. She had people saying, well, I want day 10, even before they knew what that was going to be. They just wanted one of a Dorsey McHugh painting at 300 bucks. They wanted it. So she sold those out so quickly, she then added the next 12 days as well. So she did the first 24 days of December leading right up to Christmas Day itself, selling eight by eight paintings, one a day, $300. So you can do the math on that. Yeah, she did that. Then she had a a showing of her work out in Park City, Utah at a gallery where they have her work. She sold one of her pieces. She sold about 15, but one of her pieces for $13,000. The people who purchased it invited her out to their house that evening for dinner so they could share their artist with their friends. Just some cool things that she's doing. I mean, I've talked about an artist who had somebody comment on her her work was so peaceful. It just gave you a sense of peace. And she thought, where would that be desired? Well, she started promoting her work to dental offices. And she now goes to dental conventions. I mean, guess how many other artists are there? None. I mean, she's the artist known for her work that is displayed in dental offices because it gives people a feeling of peace in a situation where they really need that. Wow. I mean, Debbie Dearman did an open house at a friend's house down in Alabama just a few days before Christmas, sold 25 pieces, took commissions on six more, and she just does interesting things. She does things that people want her to do. She's a fairly new artist, 
but she just combines it like that an open house where you're going to have you know wine and cheese and activities maybe somebody playing a piano make an event out of it and then have art that's being shown here in franklin tennessee the first friday of every month is the art crawl C-R-A-W-L, Art Crawl is what it's called. Well, you can just go from place to place to place to place. There's about 30 places that participate this in this in our little downtown community. And at every place, you know, they have hors d'oeuvres out and just a fun evening. You'll never get to all of them, but you can just go from place to place to place viewing art from local artists. Get involved with that. Patsy Claremont, you may not recognize that name. She's one of the founding speakers at the Women of Faith series and she's out right now speaking but um she does an event called shaking your tree now she uses a little bit of art i mean she's not a really established artist but she lets you develop your own art and she helps people go through and create a vision board of their life so there's magazines you cut things out and create this piece of art that is essentially a vision board of what you want your life to be i mean i did it joanne and i and michael and gail hyatt uh, worked with patsy a couple months ago on a Thursday, spent the whole day. Uh, there were a couple other people in there as well, but a, a group of, I think, six of us. And we did this process called Shaking Your Tree. Just a neat process to kind of release the artist in all of us. Now, those are some quick ideas about things you can do to help encourage young artists. We could go on and on and on. Incidentally, I mentioned that Dorsey McHugh is in Ireland right now. She just thought it would be a fun thing to do, to go over there entirely on her own without any real plan other than just to visit different places. She wants to find what she calls thin places. Thin places where kind of the natural and the supernatural kind of open up and meet together. I mean, being an artist, you can kind of get an image of what she's talking about. I think it's a very cool concept. So she's over there to just experience thin places. But uh, anyway, I appreciate the work you're doing, Coach Baez, and sounds like you got an opportunity to speak some hope and inspiration into the life of these young artists. Alex from Virginia says, I have an extremely unique opportunity that I'm not confident about. I may have the opportunity to speak about pharmacy career paths to students at the top U.S. pharmacy school. I reviewed a student resume from there and offered her career advice, and then she volunteered me to speak at the school. Conveniently, I am traveling to that area in July, so I feel honored. However, I'm new to pharmacy. I have less than a year of practice. I didn't plan on awesome opportunities appearing this early in my career. I do desire to become a pharmacy career coach someday. This seems like a first, a great first step, but I don't know where to start. Should I take this opportunity? Any tips on how to approach this? Honestly, I'm fighting doubt about my ability and training to adequately coach top-tier students, but this is too awesome to pass up. Well, Alex, I agree. Don't pass it up. Jump in with both feet. I mean, if you're going to go in and talk, they're probably going to expect you to talk for maybe 45 minutes. I mean, that's certainly not challenging. You are somebody who is out here doing it in real life. I mean, talk about the changes in the pharmacy profession. I mean, talk about the impact of the move to manage care. I mean, you could just park on any one of these and talk that long, but just create kind of an outline of what you want to present. Talk about the explosion of natural health. I mean, the growth of natural supplements. How's that going to impact traditional pharmacy as a profession? I mean, we know that uh, the mom and pop pharmacy is pretty well gone 
that's the kind that my mom and dad used to go to. There was a pharmacist in our little local town, and they depended on him greatly. I mean, he was a dear, trusted family friend, and they would go there and ask questions. Well, places like Ed Mast, my friend who had the pharmacy there, are, are pretty well gone. With the explosion of Walgreens and CVS, it's pretty hard to make it as an independent. So talk about what are the career options for a pharmacist today? I mean, you're never totally ready to be the expert. But if you start speaking, coaching, writing, you'll very quickly position yourself as the expert in this field. So I say, uh, you, you already, here's what's happened. You already had in your mind that you wanted to be a career coach in the pharmacy field. And often, as is the case, once you get clear in your mind about where you're going, doors of opportunity start appearing even beyond your expectations. And that's what's happened. Don't close the door. Don't step back. Walk through the door that's open. Great example of that. Stephen from Newburgh, Indiana says, I started a side business as a local handyman. I put out about 200 flyers with no callbacks by placing them in the newspaper boxes. You know, the little newspaper box in our area they're blue that's on the mailbox post i'm about to put out another 200 this coming weekend do you recommend i just go door to door handing out flyers while introducing myself while this would take more time it might yield better results i don't know also i believe as a handyman 90 percent of my leads should be coming from referrals i do great work but no one knows about me as i'm new in town please provide some insight well steven if you put out 200 flyers with no callbacks by placing them in the newspaper boxes, it's not working. I mean, that's enough. I commend you on the, the number that you chose, but 200 with no callbacks, it's not working. I mean, this is like sending out your resume 200 times, getting no response. We know that's not working. We need to add something to that, change it, tweak it, whatever. Here's what I would recommend. And I, I've done this a lot. I mean, I, I believe in the process. And I think that if you are a handyman, you're wise to... Just farm a given geographic area, like a community with 200 homes in it or 400 homes in it or whatever, but just work that community rather than doing something in a newspaper and then running all over town, you know, spending 30 minutes on the road, getting from one job to the next. No, just farm a territory. That's what successful real estate agents do. If somebody's having yard care or a door-to-door delivery service, I mean, that's what they do. Even like with pizza, you want to just farm one community so you can have your delivery guys dropping off four instead of just one at a time. So cool idea. What I would encourage you to do is create a special offer. Not just that you're a handyman and you'll do anything that's too elusive. Rather show that this month your special is installing, you know, a ceiling fan for $50 anywhere there's where there's already a light. They buy the fan, you'll install it. I mean, something like that. Or uh, a couple years ago, I, I, I saw an item about somebody who had a business. I think it was actually maybe a business opportunity or franchise where they would install peepholes in doors. Well, you can drive down the street and see if people have those in a community where maybe the homes were built 15 years ago. They probably do not. Yeah, it's not an unusual kind of thing to have a peephole. And there was this little ebook, as I recall, about a guy who said how to make $560 a week with your electric drill. And he went through this process of just installing peepholes. So you could install a peephole. You could charge, you know, $35 for that or $50 for that. 
if you get a fancy one. The little peephole is maybe going to cost you, you know, two or three bucks and the rest is just labor. But it's a very specific thing that you're offering. That's the way to get into the arena where then people recognize you are a good guy to have around, somebody they trust. Then they're going to say, oh, incidentally, you know, we need a screen door put up or we need a new counter in our kitchen. You know, you, you might say you'll install a wireless doorbell. Equipment and everything installed, 99 bucks. Wireless doorbell. I mean, but be specific about something you do. Even if people don't need that particular thing, it'll give them more a sense of you having a specific kind of format rather than, well, he's a handyman. I ask him to do whatever, and then he's going to you know, come up with some ridiculous price on it. Now, offer some things where you show the prices. These are common kind of things that people need done. It may be a drain cleaned out. I don't know what kind of things you want to get into, but show specific things with the prices. It'll give people a better level of comfort in calling you in to do maybe other things that they need done. Well, hey, this is Dan Meller. This is 48 Days Online Radio. Each week I have the pleasure of going through your questions, pulling out a few where we can talk about them together, kind of unpack them and figure out ways we can all go to higher levels of success together. You know, there's so many options when we talk about business, careers, jobs, being an independent contractor, an entrepreneur, a freelancer, I mean, all kinds of terms. There's so many ways to find or create work that's meaningful. So if you got a question, just go to the 48days.com site, click on the podcast link, and you can ask your question there. You can also, we've got a, a Google number you can call that's there. You can just use SpeakPipe, or you can just say your question, or you can just shoot an email to askdan at 48days.com. Okay, that's a pretty common one, askdan at 48days.com. I realize if you're out uh, running when you're listening to this or on the treadmill or traveling in your car or something, it's a little easier to remember just a simple email address, and that is askdan at 48days.com to submit your question. Joe from Point Pleasant, New Jersey. Dan, I'm one of the many people you've impacted with your writing and podcast. I'm a bivocational pastor who needed to pursue full-time work for a season. So I purchased 48 Days some years ago, ended up landing the best paying job I've ever had. Your book gave me a focus, gave me insight to strengthen my resume and help me hone my interviewing skills. Thank you. My reason for writing was for insight in promoting a music CD. I did music professionally for 10 years. I'm trying to find the best promotional vehicles with our limited financial resources, and it has my head spinning. I've considered Kickstarter to raise funds, which would increase those resources but even with more resources, where do you go? If you have any thoughts, I'd love to hear them. Thanks for all you do. Well, Joe, thanks for being involved and for getting in the game and doing the things in the seasons of your life as you need to. Now, I would not use Kickstarter with what you're describing. Now, it, is, it appears that you already have the CD completed. You're talking about just promoting it. And, and I think that's a tough kind of thing to do on Kickstarter. Kickstarter is where people are involved in helping you launch a project of some kind. It has to be unique and really intriguing. It has to be clear value for them, what they're going to get. But uh, I think that'd be a frustrating process for you, and I don't think it's a good application anyway. But now here's where I really want to go with this. I think that a music CD has to be part of a bigger picture. 
by itself, I really am afraid you'll end up frustrated. Now, here's an example. As an author, if I just focused on selling one of my books, I'd be discouraged. But it's in my case, selling any book leads people back to coaching, live events, other products, affiliate resources we recommend, and on and on and on. So my question is, what do you want to accomplish with your music CD? If you're just trying to sell CDs, I think you've got a monumental challenge. But my question is, are you going to coach other musicians? Are you going to provide music lessons and training? Is this going to lead up to a workshop, a seminar, or a live concert? I mean, I think there has to be a more robust business here than just selling a music CD. I had somebody give me a music CD the other day. It's a compilation of various artists. I happened to be uh, just walking out the door to uh, drive to Atlanta for a conference that I was involved in, and I popped it in, and I really enjoyed it. I listened to it a couple times. I got back home, and I told Joanne, I said, hey, the gal that gave you that CD, you know, tell her I really enjoyed it. But I added, I don't know that I would, even as much as I enjoyed it, I don't know that I would go out and buy more. I mean, I certainly don't need more for my own use. I don't, didn't feel strongly enough about it that I'd buy them just to give out. And so my question was the same there as what you're asking here. What, what's next for a musician? After you sell a few CDs to your friends and family, what, and I think it has to be part of something else. There's been a big move, as you know, in the last couple years, Joe, about people getting music free. I mean, the old days of just telling you know, you tell an 18 to 25-year-old, hey, here's my new CD. Give me 16 bucks and I'll let you listen to what's on there. They're going to laugh at you. That's not the process. They're going to say, let me listen to the whole thing. If I like anything, I may decide one song that I want to purchase for 99 cents as a download. The days of just selling CDs are, are pretty well gone. We have to just be realistic about that. That doesn't mean that it's the end of the line for musicians, but we have to ask, okay, what are you going to do as a creative, innovative musician? What are you going to do next to move forward from that? A lot of musicians are realizing they're going to give their music away as a way of building an audience where they then promote live events where kids show up and spend a whole lot of money on merchandise and the event itself, and the musicians make their money there. I mean, there are people who are identifying their tribe, people who are really loyal to their music, and so they're giving them a $450 package that includes a jacket, a T-shirt, a mug, a mouse pad, you know, a CD, but it includes a product package rather than just a CD. And I think those are the things you're going to have to explore uh, rather than just trying to be successful marketing an individual CD, which I think is really challenging today. Michelle says, Dan, I hope you'll address this question in the podcast. I'm moving to another city in August. Now, now hang with me here on this one. This one gets a little complicated, but, but it's a good example. And I pulled it out as the one I wanted to talk about because it relays a principle where we can kind of get our thinking whacked if we aren't careful. But at the same time, you're going to hear that I love big ideas. So Michelle says, I'm moving to another city in August, and I really, really don't want another permanent 8 to 5 J-O-B. 
although I'm not adverse to a temp working in the beginning. Here's my question to you. I have $2,500 at my disposal in addition to my current income until I move out. So money, you know, discretionary income is kind of set aside. I have a place to live in a new city rent-free for a couple months, but of course I don't want to overstay my welcome. What can I do with that money between now and August to either double or triple it within the next couple months and start consistently generating at least about $3,000 a month for starters and eventually expand on that? I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. What would you do? Well, I love your thinking, Michelle. I've had a lot of experience in this arena. I'll give you a quick example. One I write about in No More Mondays is when I was 18 years old, I got $1,800 as grant money. So it was money that didn't have to be repaid. It was because I was a poor farm kid but had good grades in high school. And I got a grant to go to college, 1800 bucks. I was thinking just like you, man, I need to double or triple that. Then I'll just spend the 1800 on tuition when it comes due and I'll have all that excess cash that I generated to do something on my own. So I bought some cashew machines, hot cashew machines. The company, true to their word that I bought them from, had some um, very questionable character come down and place those in some very sleazy establishments. And I learned very quickly that cashews under heat, mold, I was asked to get those things out of there, pulled them out, ultimately sold those machines for about 10 cents on the dollar. And when tuition came due, I had to get out and scramble to come up with some the money. Now, that's one example. But I've always looked at it the same way you are. What could I do to double or triple my money? Now, tripling your money in 90 days is a big return. I mean, no matter what the original amount. Now, you're talking about... If you have $2,500 and you want to triple it, then you're talking about being at $7,500 90 days from now. But the same principle is true. If you had a million dollars, you know, could you be at $3 million in 90 days? Well, that's a pretty big percentage return. <laughs> Expecting a 10% annual return on your $2,500 and that's what you know. financial advisors talk about, maybe an 8 to 10% return. But a 10% return on your $2,500 would mean that in 90 days, you'd have an increase of about $62.50. Thereby, you'd have $2,562.50, not $7,500. But let's just go with doubling it in 90 days. That means that 90 days from now, you'd have $5,000. But then with the same rate of return in another 90 days, that would grow to 10,000 and so on. So at the end of one year, you'd have $40,000. The same rate of return that you're talking about here. If you just double your money every 90 days, starting with $2,500, at the end of a year, you'd have $40,000. Now that would be a rate of return of about 1,500%. Again, when we talk about good financial managers trying to get us 10 to 12%, you get a sense of how extreme this is to try to get 1,500%. We're we're talking multiple, multiple, multiple times what any kind of investment advisor is going to look at. Is it possible? Hey, is my name Dan Miller? Absolutely. But it's going to be highly speculative. 
I mean, you can buy a bushel of apples for $10 and then sell them individually for 50 cents a piece and maybe get this kind of return. But it's going to be something like that. It's going to be where you are. I mean, certainly you can't just invest it in anything, but it's going to be like buying a piece of real estate and then rehabbing it and flipping it. Now, in my case, the only way I could possibly do what you're talking about, well, now there's there's more ways now since I, as a coach and established as that and as an author, there are some things that I could do. But let's just say that I'm kind of where you are. What I would do is I would do this with cars. But now cars are something I know about and I love cars. So I could go buy a $2,500 car and sell it for 4500 And if I did that once a month, I could hit your goal. But I could also buy one of those cars and on the way home discover it has a bad transmission. And, and certainly, you know, I would have purchased it from an individual or it had a repossession auction. So I'm on my own. So the repair on that may cost me $1,800. So I'm backed up from the nice big profit on that one. On that one, I may just recapture my money only. And I have a vehicle out here right now. It's a Mercury Mountaineer, one of the nice SUVs. I bought it before my son and daughter-in-law came home from Africa and to give them something to drive. They did. But about a month after they were here, oil pump went out and the engine was toast. And it needed to be replaced. So I replaced that engine and the engine replacement cost me $2,500. So looking at how I purchased that and I purchase vehicles, right? I shop and find deals, no question about it. So now I'm probably at about a break-even point on that vehicle. Having spent $2,500 for an engine, I could probably get my money back out, but probably not in a place to make much of a profit on that particular one. That's the kind of thing you're going to be looking at. So you're talking about something that's highly speculative, highly risky in terms of other people's view of that. You need to go with something that you already understand, enjoy, and love. Don't get talked into something that you don't understand. I mean, don't stop with the guy on the street corner who opens his coat and shows you Rolex watches, says, give me your $2,500, I'll give you three of these watches, and then you discover two days later they're fakes. I mean, that, that's the kind of thing you are set up for if you aren't careful. So go with something that you really know and understand. Now, I'm, I don't know what your interests are, but make sure that you stay true to those. Can you increase your money? Yeah, absolutely. And, and accidentally, I've, I've done exactly what I've talked about with cars you know, many times in life. When I'm in school, going through a transition, starting a new business, I always revert back to cars because I know that I can do what I described there. I can buy them at repo auctions and check them out mechanically, make sure they're okay, clean them up, put them in the front yard and you know, double my money on cars if they're in the right price range. And I have, and I'm living in the right kind of environment, you know, to, to sell them. One time years and years ago, we moved to Bowling Green, Kentucky. I was starting a little business on my own. And of course, my fallback, I mean, not my fallback, but what I did as consistent income was to buy and sell cars, but cars that I could sell between like $2,000, $3,000, two and $3,000. We, 
we were in a college town, Western Kentucky University. Man, I could sell those cars all day long, anything at all. So I would buy cars, maybe in the $1,800, $1,000 range, check them out, do a little cosmetic work on them, maybe even a new paint job. Boom, ready to go. $2,000, $3,000, do that all day long. And that's what I did as the consistent income while I was starting a new business. Now, I may think that that's very entrepreneurial as well, very risky, but I certainly didn't want a traditional job, as you're saying, didn't want a traditional job at all. I didn't want something to confine me, lock me down, suck up my time like that. So I reverted to something that I already knew and understood. It wasn't where I wanted to stay. I didn't want to just build up my car business, but I wanted it to provide the essential income, the three to $4,000 we needed at the time just for family income. And I knew I could do that, you know, not spending a whole lot of time, just flipping a couple cars. And that gave me the liberty then to build my business and go on to the things that I'm doing today. Well, I'll move on. I love the question. Great question. Good luck with that. Let me know what you do. Incidentally, I love to hear that you tripled your money in, in 90 days and we'll share the idea so other people can do the same. Matt says, Dan, I want to thank you for giving me inspiration and following my passion. I was very good at my job as an engineer, but not happy. I understand what I'm good at, what I enjoy. I decided to go back to school for one year to get an accounting degree. As an accountant, I can combine my passions of finance and empowering others to help individuals and small business owners follow their passions by managing their finances and helping them grow. My question concerns work-life balance as an accountant. Ultimately, I want to be a self-employed CPA, but I know I need to gain some experience first. Most professors encourage kids to work in one of the larger accounting firms, but I've heard and read that these firms expect the young kids to work 60 to 80 hours a week most of the year. I understand that I may have to work more at the beginning of my year, but I want to make sure that I can still have time to address the other areas of my life, family, social, spiritual, physical, and so on. Should I work for a smaller firm or work for a larger firm and bring up work-life balance during the interview? I know there are probably other solutions to this problem. I just haven't thought of them yet. Thanks for everything you do, Matt. Well, Matt, golly, I commend you on identifying what it is you do well, what you want to do, and making sure you got the credentials to do that. What you're going to be confronted with here is an ongoing challenge of work-life balance. And what we do is we develop personal habits that we take with us, regardless of the profession or business that we choose. Do I know people who are employees who work 60 hours a week? Yes. Do I know entrepreneurs, people who work on their own, who work 30 to 40 hours a week? Yes. We just tend to take our habits with us in these kind of situations. It's not determined by what it is we're doing or by the circumstances. So just keep that as a forefront thought. So to get experience, to do an internship or get the kind of experience that you need as a CPA so you can get sit for your own CPA license, you may see that as a short-term process for a long-term goal. Yeah, go ahead and agree to do that. Yeah, you know, so they're out of whack at the CPA firm. They expected to do that. You can do that for a year but recognize that's not what you're going to be doing long term now again it's going to take some real strategic intentional planning on your own to not allow yourself to get sucked into doing that on a regular basis because as a cpa those guys are paid for their time they're exchanging time 
for a paycheck. I don't know many of them that have any kind of residual income at all. It's one of those professions where you're paid well, but you're just paid for your time. I just picked up my taxes on Saturday morning at a meeting with my CPA. And, and really, when I looked at his bill and the, the depth of what he does to make my taxes all work and produce my return, I'm thinking, man, this poor guy really isn't getting paid a whole lot. Now, I'm not going to tell him that. I uh, agreed to pay him what he charges, and he's apparently content with that. But I would hate to be locked into that. And right now, I know that he's burning the candle at both ends. Getting everybody's tax returns done, and now even in on in through April and May, the other work that he's committed to requires brutal, brutal hours. So this is a process of defining your personal priorities and how you're going to be making deposits in those multiple areas of success. Don't allow yourself to get trapped in that. But if you have to do it short term to get to your own goal, where you then are on your own, yeah, you can do that. Aaron from Bismarck, North Dakota. Says, Dan, I've been looking for a marketing career since I graduated in May of 2012, and I've not had any luck. Local job seeker help, job service, local college career services, has said it was just my resume. I changed it five times. I'm a high D on the DISC profile. I adapt to be an I. What advice would you have? I'm considering going back to school for a different degree if things do not change soon. Aaron. Well, Aaron. This is really a catch-22. You have a marketing degree, and you've not been successful in marketing yourself. Ouch. That's a real poignant issue to look at. Now, I would not encourage you to go back to school. Focus on being better able to sell yourself. With a different degree at the end of your name, you're going to be faced with exactly the same challenge you have today. People are looking at you. At you, They're not looking at your degree. They're looking at you. So the question to ask yourself is, why aren't they excited about having you on their team? Now, I'm going to send you a fresh copy of 48 Days to the Work You Love. When you go through the job search and interviewing process in there, it should be give you some new insight so that you can honestly look at yourself in the mirror. I mean, do practice interviews with other people. The issue here is not your degree isn't working for you. No, the issue is you aren't doing an effective job of marketing yourself. You can do this. I mean, that's the positive side of this. You don't need to go back and get another degree. You just need to be more effective in how you are presenting yourself. I mean, we know that most hiring decisions are made in the first two to three minutes of an interview. People are not looking at the fine print on the fourth page of your resume. They're saying, man, do I like Aaron? Do we want him as part of our team? Is he going to fit in well here? Is he honest? Is he trustworthy? We know all those kind of things. And they'll ask you questions that give them insight on those kind of issues more so than what is your degree. And now I've got another question here. Well, I'll save that. We'll handle that a little bit differently. But when you talk about marketing and having a marketing degree, I'm going to just push a little bit here, not knowing the details of your situation, but I certainly have a lot of people, you know, show up here with marketing degrees. What I usually expect from those people is that they want to sit behind a computer and design fancy brochures, you know, to send out to unknown prospects. What I want is somebody that increases revenue. 
So when you have a marketing degree, what does that mean for a company? Does that mean that you're interested in these soft marketing ideas where you want to recommend that they take out four billboards around town and waste their money because they're not effective, but you've designed a marketing campaign. What companies really want to know is how are you going to increase revenue? How are you going to bring in more dollars? So if you can frame your marketing expertise in a way that shows companies how you are going to help them do exactly that, you're going to have offers today. You're going to get offers immediately. Make sure that you are positioning yourself as a marketing expert in that way, not just by helping them waste money on old traditional advertising methods. Hey, this is John Tesh, host of Intelligence for Your Life, and you're listening to my good buddy, Dan Miller. You know, finding your purpose and passion is the first step to living out intelligence in your own life. 48 days can show you the way. Now, back to Dan. You know, I was just scanning stations the other night on a late drive back from Atlanta and picked up Intelligence for Your Life with my buddy, John Tesh. Hadn't listened to him in a long time, and I was reminded, it's just what a cool thing he's doing. The information that he offers there... Now, John's a great example of what we teach at 48 Days. I mean, John was co-host of Entertainment Tonight. Remember that? I don't even know if it's still on. I think maybe it is, but he's been long gone. But he considers that the low point of his career. Now, he's very open about this. He was working four half days a week, being paid $1.5 million. And he considers it the low point of his career. He thought, how have I sunk this low to get paid big bucks for standing in front of a camera and reading celebrity birthdays. He didn't think it had a whole lot of value in terms of making the world a better place. He wanted to be involved in music. He wanted to do wonderful concerts. So he quit that prestigious job and started making music, which he absolutely loves. A really cool story, another quick story on that. One of the first things he wanted to do was do a major concert at Red Rock in Colorado. Beautiful place, Red Rock. Evening concert outside. What could be more fantastic? Mortgaged his house, much to Connie, his wife's dismay, to finance that venture. About 45 minutes into the concert at Red Rock, it started raining, started pouring. Not common in that parts, but it did. Guess what the orchestra did? They packed up their expensive instruments and hightailed it out of there. They're gone. Here's John with an audience and a piano. He just kept playing. He kept playing and singing, sang his heart out. That is one of the most memorable things he's ever done. And that music continues just to rock. John Tesh at Red Rock. You can check it out. Anyway, just a, a great drop in here. I remembered I had that clip from John, we did a cruise together a few years ago. Had an absolute blast doing that. Well, let me go back to the questions. Ross from Memphis, Tennessee. Now, this is another sales and marketing question. He says, Dan, I'm 28 years old, currently in a sales position in the adult beverage industry. I received a sales management degree from a great university, but I'm just not sure if this is it for me. The stress of hitting numbers and late nights Long hours is getting old. I'm really starting to become burned out. I'm trying to look elsewhere, but every sales job I see seems the same or I just don't have industry experience. 
We also don't plan on living here long term. I'd love to get out of sales altogether, but I can't figure out what really motivates me or what my true passion is. I'm lost, could use some of your wisdom. Well, when Ross, when you say that you are you have a sales management degree, I mean, where did you think that was going to lead you? Now, if we kind of unpack this a little bit, you say that you're not sure you want to be in sales at all. You'd like to get out of sales altogether. What that really implies, if I'm a potential employer and I hear you say you want to get out of sales altogether, what I've immediately heard is you want to be paid for doing things that don't lead to increased revenue for my company. Whoa. I mean, I want the receptionist. I want my virtual assistants to recognize how they're involved in sales. Unless what they're doing leads to increased sales, I can't justify having them. Any company is going to feel that way. So be very careful about verbalizing your desire to be out of sales. It'll kill your opportunities. You are in sales. It doesn't matter if you're the janitor. Your role is to help that company be more profitable. So you can't just decide you want to move out of that. But just go back and revisit. What prompted you to get a sales management degree? What are your strongest areas of competence? Now, when you say that you're in a sales position in the adult beverage industry, I mean, sales encompasses a broad spectrum of opportunities. You can be somebody who goes out knocking on doors, you know, the small mom and top mom and pop retailers trying to get your particular beverage in there. You can be an account rep where you are calling on the same people week after week. You get to know them. Sure. You're looking for point of sale display prestigious positions in the stores and all those, you know, that's all part of that sales management process that you're involved in. You could be calling on major accounts where you're going to try to win the rights at universities or major industry campuses like Google and Yahoo to get your drinks in there. That's a very different kind of sales process. Or you could be designing the ads they're going to run on Super Bowl to get people to make an immediate response. And those are all very different kinds of sales within the same industry. So define where it is you fit best in there. It may be that you are mismatched in the type of sales that you're doing now rather than just sales doesn't fit you. I mean, there are people who would be great at selling real estate or cars or furniture or jewelry who would be horrible at selling MRI machines to hospitals. It's a very different sales process, a longer sales cycle. You're selling to different kind of people who don't make emotional, but rather logical decisions. I mean, there's all kinds of ways to position yourself well within selling if you know what it is that you do well. This comes from Jared. says, Dan, I have a mentor who says any idea can work. Should I get another mentor? Opening up a Christmas tree store on December 6th is an idea, but it won't work. What's the deal, Dan? (laughs) Great question. Should I get another mentor? Because he says any idea will work. Well, it goes back to my original opening quotation from Seth Godin. You know, sometimes we get the idea that just persistence is going to make anything work. No, it's not. 
I mean, a lot of people think that. They think, well, you've heard me talk about Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours. Just put in 10,000 hours and you can be successful in anything. Well, that's garbage. Again, persistence in the wrong direction will just increase your misery. And just trying to make any idea work if it's not really a good fit for you is ludicrous. You'll end up frustrating yourself and everybody around you. No, that is not true. Now, can this guy be a mentor? I don't know. I mean, you ought to have multiple mentors, mentors in different areas. He may be real successful with financial management and you want him to mentor you in that particular area. But if he's sticking to his guns and saying any idea can work, it doesn't matter what you approach, then I would question his value as a mentor. Yeah, it has to be more than, more than just passion. It has to be more than talent. We have to combine passion, passion, talent, and having an economic model. That's where you get an idea where you can knock it out of the park. So you may want to find a mentor who helps you frame what is unique about you, who validates the uniqueness you have, rather than just somebody that says, hey, it doesn't matter what the idea is. If you push hard enough, you can make it work. That's not great advice. Well, hey, check out the 48days.net community, growing group of people there who are linking arms, sharing ideas, and going to amazing new levels and areas of success. Things that I would have never dreamed about as terms of being successful ideas, and yet they are if it fits that individual. And that's what you want to look at. Thanks for being part of this community. Check us out, 48days.com or .net. Believe that you can find work that is profitable and meaningful at the same time.